Play ball. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the SIS Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon, Senior Researcher for Sports Info Solutions. We're here to inform and entertain, and hopefully you enjoy what we bring to the table in these tough times. Today's show, today's show will be pretty great. Uh, it's the Baseball Brain Power Bonanza. We actually had this plan to do in Arizona at the Sabre Analytics Conference, but it didn't quite work out for obvious reasons. Eno Saros from The Athletic, Rob Arthur from many places, and Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. This is our dream panel for this kind of podcast. It is awesome to hear from each of you. Uh, we will start by talking lots of defense, as we like to do on this show. Eno, I'll start with you. A couple of cool things happened for us on Wednesday. A fan criticized Kevin Kiermeyer on Twitter for jumping at balls that he didn't have to to make the catch. And Kevin Kiermeyer, for I think the first time in his Twitter life, uh, punched back at the guy. Uh, and we went to the data, which obviously backed him up because Kevin Kiermeyer is fantastic. Kevin wound up thanking the stat community for what, uh, what we do. Tom Tango picked up on it. And your Arte then responded to thank uh, the stat community for doing what they do. And the story that I'm telling has a purpose here. It's to ask the question, how much do you think baseball players know about how their defense is evaluated? And this is kind of open for the group, but I want to start with Eno. It's actually one of the first things that a player sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, hey, what is UZR? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember Scott Shebler a couple spring trainings ago was like, hey, what is UZR and why does it say I'm so bad? So I had to kind of run through the concept of zone ratings and, um, you know, what it was looking at. And, you know, we actually pulled up a, a spray chart and, and worked on his positioning because we thought, hey, maybe you could improve your positioning and improve your UZR. So uh, that was sort of the first wave of players kind of connecting with me uh, over defensive stats since I think they've actually, I think they've generally liked StatCast because what they don't like as much, they like direct, me directly measured things. They don't like war as much because they don't understand all the pieces that go in. They don't understand what, what replacement level is, or they don't, it's a, it's a, it's a uncouth conversation to have <laughs> with a baseball player. Um, and then uh, they'd all get sort of wrapped up into what they feel is a black box. Most of the StatCast stats, or at least the first generation of StatCast stats, uh, were very uh, sort of seemingly directly measured. How fast do you run? How hard do you hit the ball? That sort of stuff. And I think that got them on board a little bit because they're like, hey, look, I can, you know, I, I definitely saw people in the clubhouse being like, ah, I, I hit mine 105, you know, <laughs> like nanny nanny boo boo. So, uh, you know, I, I think um, some of the new StatCast stuff has opened the door for a better conversation between players and and uh, the stack community. But generally, uh, I would say that they don't uh, understand the um, more cumulative stats, the DRS type stuff, or uh, even maybe outs above average. Uh, it's more the directly measurable stuff that they like. Who is the most receptive to everything? You know, those are the ones that, that read everything we write. Uh, Zach Granke and, and Joey Votto types. Uh, they're the ones that come to mind. But there's a new wave now of young kids who grew up in this, who speak this with their, with their coaches, who, who understand the language. And they're actually so numerous, it's kind of, it's harder to, uh, to, to just name a few. You know, it's like, I would say on the Walker Bueller age range, the, the 22, 23-year-olds that are coming up, 
I mean, he came to mind as a name, I should say, but I think he's representative of a larger majority, actually. I'll give an anecdote that uh, I thought was kind of funny. That So we switched over our defensive run saved from this old system to this new one that now we're much better able to calculate infield defense. And someone who worked for a team uh, said to me, when's this coming, when's this coming? Uh, because he said that, like, he knows that during the season – half the roster is coming to him and saying, why is my DRS poor? Or, <laughs> or is it as good? Like I've been a guy who had 10, 15 runs saved in a season. Why am I only at three right now? Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely there. Um, and you would hope that uh, this will continue. It was kind of cool to see Kiermaier and, and your uh, respond in that way. Uh, certainly, and just to to kind of look at it, I, do do we think that I, I think that players are getting an understanding of how important their defense is? But Rob, you recently recently wrote something for Baseball Prospectus uh, about teams and how teams value defense. Uh, can you explain to us what you found? Uh, this was a continuation of some some work I had started a while back, looking at how teams value a bunch of different uh, attributes of players. And the way that I was looking at it was. Um, examining the free agent market, since that's essentially the only place that um, teams have sort of their pick of players on the open market. And you're able to actually tell, uh, you know, how much they value based on the uh, the actual contract values that get awarded, which is public knowledge. So I looked at a few different uh, aspects of how teams were playing for players. And I looked at, for example, hitting performance and whether exit velocity was becoming more important than like slugging. And I found that it was. And then I turned to defense, and I wanted to see if the uh, the available public numbers for defense matched up with how teams were paying for defensive superstars. And I found out that at least for baseball prospectuses metric, um, fielding runs above average, uh, there wasn't really a very good matchup between the players that uh, baseball prospectus would have identified as being defensive superstars and how much teams were paying for them as free agents. So there's been a lot of varieties of this finding made before, um, in over the years, and I think it's at this point sort of a, a common thing. Every time you look for how teams pay for defense, you see that um, at least according to the metrics that we have uh, in public right now, they don't seem to value it much at all. But I I know from talking with various people in front offices that it's not true that teams don't care about defense. What what's, what I think is really going on, and I found some some uh, evidence for this in the story, is that teams uh, have better defensive metrics available to them than, for example, baseball perspectives does. They're able to know, um, you know how fast the players run and uh, how difficult the balls are to field uh, from the beginning. They're able to know how much is defensive positioning and how much is uh, shifting, whereas all that stuff, or much of it, is not in public right now. And so um, the available metrics like QZR and uh, FRA that, that BP has um, they're not able to essentially compare to what teams have available. And because of that, um, and because of those mismatches between the teams, the teams metrics and the public metrics, uh, it looks like they, they don't care, but really they care just as much or more um, than fans do. They just have a better way of measuring it than we can, than we can see. Do we feel that, the, this is for the other two guys, do we feel that teams are valuing defense properly? You know, I think I think we're seeing you know relative to five years ago, yeah, probably it's I, I think more more so than you know I think it grows with every passing year. I'm sure Statcast has helped. You know, when you're when you're getting the these uh, you know these these breakdowns, um, you know, and 
that help you know you could track positioning as as well as as uh, uh, range. You know, I think that uh, it's it's got to be converging uh, on you know a, a much more a much better you know much better way uh, than we had before. I haven't, but you know, I, I'll defer to Rob here because he's studied it much more closely than I have. Right. Well, I was going to ask you specifically uh, about <laughs> about the team that we I think we both follow fairly avidly, and you've written about it: the the Mets and their outfield defense. There's an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, yeah, what did I should, you? I should make clear that it's not all teams. I've written about the Mets defense a lot lately too. It feels like. Yeah, Jay. What, Jay, what did you refresh people on what you wrote about? Yeah, I wrote. You know, just how just the Mets roster in general just is you know is a collection of mis- mismatched parts, and and you know when they were. When they were struggling early last year, they were really right at the bottom of, of the defensive rankings, depending on whether you were looking at like defensive efficiency or uh, or DRS or UZR. Um, and I'm forgetting some of the, some of those they were near uh, dead last or near last. And when the Nationals were struggling too, they were they were way down there as well. But you know the Mets just they haven't really had a true center fielder since God. I mean you know maybe like the, a good year from Angel Pagan. Um, <laughs> well, they had like, I, I, briefly. Yeah, I mean Lagares Lagares is, is a good defender, but he just he couldn't he couldn't hit enough to, yep. to really, you know, make, justify playing as a full timer. But you know, and 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 Espinas could you know had a big enough bat that he could fake his way through it when he was healthy. But obviously, he hasn't been healthy in a long time. So they're just you know whether it's Nimmo or Conforto or whatever, just you know they've just you know and then putting an infielder in the outfield uh, corners like JD Davis or Jeff McNeil or whatever. It's just like it's a horrific uh, mismatched collections and it's costing them a lot of runs. I think maybe they make the playoffs last year if they have, you know, a, a competent outfield defense instead of, you know, JD Davis or whatever. Is, is there a team, this is for all three of you, just anecdotally speaking and thinking about it. Is there a team whose commitment to defensive performance impresses you? Like, I feel like I, the Do- the Dodgers are a fairly clear answer on that one. Yeah, I was I was gonna say the Dodgers, but it's not so much that they you know go after and buy defensive superstars in free agency. It's it's more that they seem to have um, perhaps better metrics for for defensive positioning than um, most other teams. So something like that will will bring up all their defensive uh, performances, but uh, it won't. I don't think manifest as you know one guy being an incredible defender. They're they're also a team that I mean they've turned like a guy who who have figured out how to hit in Max Muncie into a second baseman, you know, and like this kind of I think I, I saw the term somewhere and I'm not, I can't remember who used an apology if it was one of you a shift aided uh, infielder, you know, a guy who because teams are able to position him fairly precisely, you know, could fake his way through second base uh, or, or third base where you know in you know t- ten years ago that might not have been possible. What about the Rays? The Rays would be in that mix too, right? Given that, that what yeah, they're able to do on a, on a small budget. Yeah, they, they seem very interesting too in that like if you look at the edges of their roster, they seem to be collecting guys who don't have a position at all. And they have like three or four guys you might call a DH. But they're trying guys like Tsutsugo, Yushitomo Tsutsugo at third base where they were when we were going to have a season. And they're, they're trying these guys in order just to know how much they can depend on them and how much positioning can aid them and how much uh, they could they can get an extra game or two out of them offensively um, if they pick the right moments defensively. So uh, that, you know, the Brewers kind of stick out for me in that similar way where they, you know, the parts aren't amazing defensively, but if they, they get enough parts that they can <laughs> kind of, you know, they kind of 
figure out what day they can play a guy. Yeah, um, they, it's not they, just positioning. It's like on this day, this right-handed heavy roster or this ground ball heavy roster, this fly ball heavy roster, we can sneak them in on these, these days. Yeah, and they're definitely a team that's really gone for that, you know, the shift-aided uh, infielders, uh, Moustakas, uh, obviously, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, Travis Shaw, and, and now, you know, Hire is not – I mean, he, you know, the talk about him as a, as a draft prospect was, you know – he can he can certainly hit at any position, but whether he can you know whether he can play a position is, is is the open question. So a couple of years ago, I went to spring training and I was talking to Andy Green, not uh, in his first spring training as the Padres manager, and I said um, he he was telling me like he liked he was someone who was very pro DRS, uh, which was cool, uh, and it was neat to to meet someone like that. And he said that he got that from Craig Council, and I'm looking at Craig Council's stats here. He's tied for the most defensive runs saved in a season by a second baseman as a player uh, wow. in the time that we've tracked it. Was, I'm a fan of that stat. It says I'm really good. <laughs> he had 30, well, he had 30 defensive runs saved. And so Craig Council told him everything he knew about how to position himself. Because Craig Council's not someone, and I'm looking at it right now, Craig Council's not someone who you would think is tremendously athletically gifted. Uh, but, and I'm looking at this, he was really good, and we don't have the positioning data for this, on balls that were hit up the middle. And I'm guessing that, that he had a pretty good sense of whether it was him or direction from the coaching staff as to when he needed to cheat a lot and that his expertise in that uh, allowed him to be really good at that. And then he's able to convert that to coaching and managing. Uh, so I think it's an example of, hey, here's someone who had a commitment to defense uh, who's now implementing it uh, at the managerial level. You know, are there any others uh, that you found uh, particularly uh, committed to it? Well, I actually kind of am fascinated by the bottom of the leaderboard because my first inclination when I heard Rob's talk at Samer Seminar was that perhaps with, you know, the, you know, the, the, the lack of balls in play, with the, the fact that we were striking out and walking and hitting home runs more than ever, did, are there any teams that – is this a – is this like not lack of investment in defense reflective of the fact that teams think out, oh, you know what? There's so fewer balls in play. Like I don't need to worry about defense as much, but if you look at the bottom of the defensive leaderboard for last year, it's hard to find a team where you're like, Oh yeah, that team got an advantage by punting defense basically. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, if you look at the bottom of the defensive leaderboard, they're all bad teams. Yep. You know, the, the only team that I can think of that, may have punted defense to some extent that that was good was the twins and they were like an all-time basher i think that the yankees also kind of have mediocre defensive numbers no matter where you look yep um and those are kind of all-time basher uh teams uh that that had you know strengths in other places and i wouldn't necessarily think other than like miguel andujar playing third base i can't think of or maybe miguel sano i don't know maybe those two choices other than that it's not like they um you know put a bunch of it's not like the Mets where they put a bunch of like right fielders in center you know <laughs> um so I, I think it that might have this just been they're doing the best they can with the personnel they've groomed the personnel yep. that, that has come up in their system and it's not their fault that Eddie Rosario and Miguel Sano are not amazing defenders it's just how their body types and how how their player types worked out and so I, I would say that uh, it smacks right to me what Rob said, that it's actually not so much a de-investment in defense and more an investment in, in better metrics um, that's, that's driving the, uh, the market that we're seeing. 
Cool. Let me let me shift the conversation slightly uh, to a topic that Jay's got an expertise in as the Hall of Fame guru of the group. Uh, do you think that defense is properly taken into consideration when it comes to the Hall of Fame? Derek Holden and I were talking about this as it related to Yachty, and I brought up Scott Rowland. Um, where where do we think we stand with that? I think we're probably behind. You know, I think I think if 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 people understood how good a defender Scott Rowland was, he would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer yeah. because he's. Uh, uh, way high on the list. And you can, you know, you can look at, if you look at though, I've got here, I did a play index search. It's, it's uh, uh, the highest wars of players outside the hall uh, along with their defensive runs. And, you know, I'm not sure that defense is really what's keeping these guys outside the hall or lack of defense recognition, but I, it stands out to me for like Lou Whitaker. Yes. I mean, people knew how good a fielder he was, you know, granted we're going by total zone rather than, um, you know, DRS or UZR, but guys like, like uh, Lou Whitaker and, and Bobby Gritch, who's maybe their batting stats or at least their, you know, batting averages and, and, and things like that are not necessarily the most impressive. Uh, although if you look at things like OPS plus they're, they're, they're much more impressive. Um, you know, they're not getting fully credited for their defense. Bill Dolan, you know, kind of the, the, the turn of the turn of the 20th century uh, uh, shortstop who's uh, was exceptional fielder. Um, Kenny Lofton got screwed um, because nobody appreciated that. There's a bunch of third basemen uh, like Greg Nettles and 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 Buddy Bell, I think, who probably could have uh, gotten uh, greater appreciation when they when they came up on the ballot instead of going one and done or very close to it. Uh, Dwight Evans, um, you know, there's a, there's there, there's a lot of these guys and looking, you know, Andrew Jones hasn't been treated very well. Um, obviously, uh, I worry about Chase Utley. Uh, you know, they're, so they're at the same time, you know, when you go around the diamond and the best fielders at most positions are, are if not all of them are, are already in the hall and they conform to some of our perceptions, you know, Johnny Bench, Brooks Robinson, um, obviously Mark Belanger didn't hit, but Ozzy Smith is two runs behind him. He's in the hall, uh, Roberto Clemente in right field, uh, Willie Mays before Andrew Jones came along, Barry Bonds outside for different reasons um, than, than, than his glove. So, you know, the best, I think the very best have pretty much been recognized, but there's a, there's a tier of players uh, that's getting a bit of, that's gotten a raw deal. Mostly they got a raw deal when they were BBWA candidates 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, you know, they're now competing with others uh, probably, you know, who are still being recognized more for their batting stats than, uh, for their, you know, the full weight of their contributions when it comes time to make those ballots. And, and uh, you know, you got a bit of a, uh, you know, uh, uh, log jam, you know, when it comes time in this very imperfect system uh, of like a committee vote. You know, Rob, is there someone you want to get on the, the back of and say this person should be in the Hall of Fame uh, related to their defensive performance? I, I just wanted to say something about catchers in general. I think we're in a time of unprecedented uh, fluctuation of catcher value, at least when you look oh, historically, yeah. um, you know, just the advancements we made in framing. Um, and, you know, I think back to a piece that didn't, uh, that I haven't seen, you know, on leaderboards anywhere, but uh, Harry Pavlidis and the baseball perspectives team uh, tried to put a number on game calling uh, from the catcher perspective at one point. And I'm not advocating for catcher ERA here, but I think that they're, uh, there's still stuff in catching that we're not ca- that we're not catching. Huh. Wow! I think that was Max Marchi actually. I think. It yeah. was, oh, okay, Max. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yes, it was the it was fantastic stuff. And and 
just a shameless plug. We, we're doing stuff like that too. But yeah, and I and I and I believe it. It's just you know I'm a slave to the Fangraphs leaderboards, and so I remember you know people having the Yadier Molina is he a, a Hall of Famer argument, and my first my first sort of oh I'll, let me just sort some stuff here. Uh, I was like ugh God no, um, and then uh, you know lo and behold we add framing to the Fangraphs war, and wow you know what now he's a borderline you know possibly in. So I think that. Um, I hate to say it, but uh, I think that sometimes you kind of have to leap off the numbers a little bit and and give uh, you know defensive credit like has to sometimes go beyond what's on the page. Um, especially, I think even defensively, we're making real advancements. So um, you know, historically going back, it's kind of hard to be like you know sure of a defender's value. So for me, Yadier Molina, I think my sniff test is he's in, and uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Um, and I don't know if the numbers will come around to saying I'm right, or if I will be, uh, considered wrong, uh, 20 years from now. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's my sort of sniff test. You know, I guess that's the guy that comes to mind when you, when you ask that question. You know, can I just, I just want to add something, you know, if, yeah. if, Yad, if Yadi and Molina in his framing are, are, are hall worthy, I think we have to think very hard about uh, Russell Martin and Brian McCann because they're right there with them uh-huh. in, in most cumulative hall metrics and uh, better hitters, Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, went uh, both of them on a bunch of playoff teams. Um, McCann obviously got the ring with the Astros, but uh, you know, Martin, uh, you know, helped remake that Pittsburgh team for a while and, and, uh, and Toronto too. Uh, a guy who everywhere he went, uh, the standard of play rose, um, you know, in part because of the hidden value that 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 he brought uh, behind the plate. Yeah, at least McCann has slightly, has probably the best uh, traditional uh, Hall of Fame metrics, you know, in terms of uh, combination of sort of batting average and RBI and, and, and home runs. So, you know, maybe he has a chance to to have a real run at some point. Um, but, um, I think all three, uh, maybe Yadier Molina will, will get in, but, uh, I think all three may, may not make it in the end. Yeah. I think Molina's probably got the best shot because he's uh, in multiple championship teams and just the endless, you know, uh, discussion, you know, in, in that right. realm, but it, it's, you know, he's got the, he's got a 282 batting average, whereas Martin is 248 and McCann's 262. I mean, yeah. some people's analysis is going to stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, right. in terms of the total offense. Right. <laughs> Rob, do you yeah. have anyone who's back you want to get on for the Hall of Fame? So I'm, I'm not enough of a historian uh, like Jay to, to know, but I, I think that it's telling that the, the two people that you brought up are, are reasonably recent. I would bet that there are guys, you know, from the 60s or 70s or 80s who are incredible framers or incredible game callers and, you know, light hitting, uh, light hitting other than that. And, I wonder if one of those guys uh, that I probably never heard of um, who stuck around for a while and accrued a lot of value that way, you know, whether he's secretly a hall of famer, I suspect that, you know, somewhere over the course of, of baseball history, there's been at least one player like that who was really outstanding in all the defensive ways that we can't measure or couldn't measure until the last 10 years. But um, I've got a guess. Sure. I do have a guess. Jim Sundberg might've been one. Um, You know, he, uh, uh, crossed, you know, granted he played for a lot of crappy Texas Rangers teams. So maybe he didn't, didn't provide as much value, but he was also, you know, he was, he was the regular catcher on that Royals championship team in 85. Um, you know, acknowledged as a good defender, 
but I think we're probably miss and and he, and is in, in the Jaws rankings. He's top twenty five. He's just ahead of Molina actually right now wow. uh, in, in in Jaws. I would bet that he probably moves up a bit. Um, you know, if 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 you if you've got framing data, he's one that I, and I wonder about Bill Freeman as well. He's uh, a, you know probably uh, definitely cruelly overlooked. I mean, like this guy was like a I don't know, it's like a twelve time eleven time All Star who went one and done on the on the ballot. And I don't know how the hell you do that. Decent you know, bat, actually. Yeah, decent bat. Championship, you know, champion was you know was was part of uh, uh, you know championship team uh, with the Tigers in '68. Caught Denny McLean, and if I'm not mistaken, he won he won a, at least a couple Gold Gloves. Yeah, four gold, five Gold Gloves in a row. And you know where where the hell you know where the hell is he? So I bet he was probably a pretty good framer too. <laughs> All right, so we get the historical perspective, we get the modern perspective on things. Zoom tells me that we're uh, inside of five minutes left to to conclude this podcast. So I, I want to ask. I'll give you one question. Give me a thirty second answer on this. Is there a player whose defensive skills you wish you had? You know, I could watch I could watch Nolan Arenado or or, or Manny Machado at, at third base all day. I just love I love the play when the guy goes into foul ground uh, mm. to field to to backhand a ball and just fires a laser across the diamond. I you know to me that's that's just about the coolest uh, uh, defensive play in baseball. I really really like the diving catch. And in center field in particular. So two guys that stand out for me there are Kevin Kiermeyer and also Jackie Bradley Jr., who has talked about um, all the kind of intricacies of how to make a diving catch and how you have to let your body go limp uh, so that when you hit the ground, you don't, you don't hurt yourself. Uh, so I, I just enjoy thinking about that and just the idea that I could just leave my feet and just be horizontal and come up with the ball at the end of all that uh, is just amazing. For me, I think that since we were talking about framing and, and catching, I think it would be really fun to be one of those amazing framing or amazing game calling catchers. It seems like you get a, a different window into the game than anyone mm-hmm. else on the field. Mm-hmm. And that would be really, really fun to play uh, just a, a season, knowing everything that's going to happen and being able to influence it and being able to call the pitches <laughs> and all of that stuff would be really fascinating. So that that might be my my pick, except for the fact that robot arms are coming in a few years and quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess yeah, boy, that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you guys have all, I'm sure, talked about that uh, ad nauseum. I'm gonna I'm going to say here's I mean, this is a terribly shameless plug, but I'm gonna pick Matt Chapman. I don't know if you guys have seen the cover of our book, Fielding Bible, Volume Five. Boy, this is a shameless plug. Uh, to be able to. I don't even know that you'd call it a squat, but to be able to stand in the way that he does as his ready position mm-hmm. uh, takes incredible balance and skill and strength. And I think to have that would be pretty extraordinary. Uh, I don't know that uh, there are many that can do it. And I'm hopeful that Matt Chapman will have the career of a Brooks Robinson type so that we can fully appreciate uh, what he brings. So, with that, I want to thank the baseball brain power bonanza of Eno Saris, Rob Arthur, and Jay Jaffe. My name is Mark Simon. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll be bringing another podcast uh, pretty soon here uh, from Sports Info Solutions. Thanks for listening. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. 
That's Fielding Bible Volume 5. Available at actasports.com. That's A-C-T-A sports.com or wherever you buy your books online. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 